On the island of Matanui, six mighty Toa must rise against evil. To succeed, they must join forces and find the Kanoe Masks of Power. Six heroes, one destiny. Can you find the power? Bionicle. Each set sold separately. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Chris and Eric's Longbox Adventure. I am Eric. And I'm Chris. Welcome to episode six. This week, we are going to be discussing something near and dear to your heart. So I will let you go ahead and do the intro here. Today, we are discussing the first three issues of the Bionicle comic. Um, Bionicle was a Lego toy line uh, that ran from 2001 to 2010, briefly came back for 2015-2016. I was obsessed with it from 2001 through 2006. Uh, It's real weird. Um, Basically, it's a series about a bunch of robot people who live on an island... Some of them have magical powers connected to the elements, and there is a big evil spirit that made their god fall asleep, and they have to try and wake him up, and also get rid of the evil spirit. Uh, All the animals that live on this island are also robots, but all of the plants are still plants. So I remember Bionicle as just like a franchise of advertisements. I never had a toy. I never read any of these. I did not engage with the franchise at all as a child, but it was such a cultural thing that I very clearly remembered it when you picked it to discuss anyway, even though I've never read these because I was just like, oh yeah, those robot things that looked as kind of cool as any robot things could look (laughs) from my childhood. Um... Yeah, it was really big, especially for a while. The, um, I know LEGO was heading into bankruptcy, and basically a combination of Bionicle and like doing the Star Wars movie LEGO figures um, stopped them from going bankrupt. And now LEGO is the most successful toy company ever, and like the only reason LEGO still exists is because they did this line of weird robot people in bright colors. Yeah, there's... A lot to talk about. This is not just like a toy tie-in comic, but just like with the franchise as what it is, the sort of like interplay of media is sort of crucial in a way that it isn't with a lot of other toys and stuff like that. With that said, should we start with the comics and then branch off from there? Or I guess what sort of, how do you want to structure this? Um, let's just start with the comics. At least the first issue I think is a good intro. And then the start of the second issue gets into a bit of, like, the lore, and we could discuss some of the wider, like, history of the franchise with that. Sounds good. Um, so, Bionicle issue number one. Uh, these were published by DC, and so far as I am aware, were only available three with, uh, Lego Magazine, which you could get sent to your home, and it was the catalogue to get your parents to order things from, um... 
I looked at the catalog, and this was clearly the era I was most into LEGO because I had, like, at least something from almost every page. Expensive, expensive, expensive. <laughs> LEGO was, like, the thing I played with. Yeah, um, I guess real quick before we hop into the full plot and everything, just a real quick creative team acknowledgements. We've got Greg Farshti as the writer on these issues, uh, penciler Carlos Dionda, and then the inkers and colorists switch up a little bit, where we have Richard Bennett and Randy Elliott on inks, and then we have Alex and Claire and Peter Pantazes. I apologize, Mr. Peter, if I fucked up your name. Uh, we have those two on colors. And these don't have any letterers credited, so bad job, DC. Bad job, Lego Comics. Like, I'm sure I wouldn't yeah. know him by name, but we should have credited him. One other note before we begin. Um, especially in the early years, Bionicle used a lot of names and terminology um, from Pacific Islanders and um, specifically the Maori language. And it was some of the usages were offensive enough that they were actually sued, and some of the terms later got changed. Um, from what I have understand from reading, it wound up ending amicably, um, but these issues are from before then. So there are some. There's a term in here, especially which is one that I know got changed and was the most offensive, where we're just going to refer to them. Um, to these characters by, like, the name they got later. Uh, it's the Matoran. Um, they used to be called the Tohunga. It's not a good idea to use a sacred term to refer to your tiny robot people who you sell with McDonald's Happy Meals. So we're just gonna call them the Matoran in this. Yeah, yeah. In terms of the main cast, the, like, six Toa, the main characters' names are the same, right? Yes, um, those weren't changed, although several of them are based on words. They're not offensive ones to be using as much. Um, the only significant one is the change to Matoran, um, and then there were some that just got spelling changed, but audio medium, you won't be able to tell. Okay. Um, kicking things off with issue number one. Uh, so we open with a strange canister... Uh, landed on a beach it's covered in robot crabs who run away as it opens up and a bunch of well it's lego so their pieces fall out and they slowly assemble themselves into a large white robot man with a sword and he's got a mask on and the mask has like one regular eye hole and then on the side it's got like three big eye holes um and it's indicated that he can't remember who or what he is but like he's very dramatically monologuing about being a hero and having awakened the narration here yeah it's just very dramatic these toys did not come to fuck around as he lets us know and the darkness cannot stand before me as he's standing there in the sun with his big robot sword arm looking ready to beat the hell out of some other robots. It's interesting that this is the character they're starting with, because this is the ice one, which I guess we haven't explicitly said yet, that the Toa have different colors and corresponding elemental affinities, and the, like, main sort of mascot one, the red one, isn't who we're starting with, which is kind of weird. 
not bad, but just unexpected. Yeah, um, it's especially weird because I feel like you could just make this issue. So, Tahu, who's the red one, and Kapaka, who's the white one, are basically the same dude, just on slightly different levels of, like, being a dick. Um, Tahu's technically the leader, but he's, like, an angry prick most of the time who doesn't want to work with anyone else. And Kopaka is not the leader and slightly more of an angry prick who doesn't want to work with anyone else. Like, the first thing he does on the next page is come across a Matoran who has the exact same face as him because he's got the same mask because Lego were only going to make so many molds for this. And attacks him. Um, so Matoa have vaguely humanish proportions, I guess, closest we see. The Matoran were the toys you could get with your McDonald's meals, and they have, like, really big feet, and then tiny bodies and weird arms, and then heads the same size as the Toa. They look kind of like weird robot babies. Yeah, like, my immediate impression was, oh, this is, like, a child... But, like, do they grow bigger, or is this just all of the ones who aren't the Toa are just short? Like, are the Toa exceptionally tall? What's happening physiologically with these robots? Um, they do get rebuilt to be a bit bigger later, but the Toa are bigger than them, just, like, by default. Um, the the Toa, these Toa are very weird in that they show up as Toa, most Toa are in, like, other parts of the franchise, which come later on, are, like, Matoran who are given energy or, like, special masks. Um, the big one is one of the Matoran who, I'm surprised, doesn't show up in these comics, called Takua, winds up becoming the Toa of Light because he puts the Mask of Light on, which is what the first movie's all about. Um, the tiny old people who we meet later called the Taraga were, um... They used to be Toa, and they gave up their extra power and became real short. So I guess, like, the taller something is in the Bionicle universe, the more, like, magical energy it has. Okay. Like, there was definitely the impression that, like, when the Toa arrived, that everyone is, like, immediately impressed by them. And I suppose, like, design-wise, it's physically immediately apparent that, like, these are the dudes of legend. These aren't ordinary dudes. They are imposing in stature and reputation and everything. Like, it's not like, oh, any normal robot could become a Toa. These dudes just stroll up. Yeah, it's a whole destiny thing. There's, like, they've all been prophesized to arrive for the past thousand years. So, Yeah. Yeah, they show up and it means that, you know, some serious shit's about to go down and all the Matoran are real happy about it. They need to wake up their god. Yeah, what's the deal with that? Because it's like, because there's like the two gods, I think they might have been brothers, question mark, and one's good and one's evil, but like, is the good one banished or is he napping? He's Where's napping. he at? Okay, so he's in his Odin sleep while his evil brother fucks things up. Essentially, um, at this point in the franchise, I don't think they'd come up with some of the weirder retcons from later, but at this point, essentially, it's there is Mata Nui, the Great Spirit, and Makuta, his brother, who tricked him and made him fall asleep because he was jealous of how much the Matoran loved him. Or maybe they come up with that bit later. 
he's the evil brother who wants him to fall asleep and makes him fall asleep and is now like, aha, I will infect animals and make them real angry and destroy stuff. Okay. Um, back to the plot of the comic, uh, basically it's established via talking to the Matoran that he's just attacked, that Kopaka needs to find both the other Toa and more masks of power. Um, so all of these robots have a robot face, but they all wear masks all the time, um, and those masks give them different abilities. Like, Kopaka's mask with the big, cool eyes on it um, is the mask of vision, and he can use it to see stuff real good. He's got, like, heat vision and x-ray vision. This might be getting ahead a little bit in plot, but just, like, a sort of, like, I guess mechanical question. Do they switch out masks so there's only ever one at once, or can they, like, wear multiple at once and stack the abilities? Because I wasn't fully clear on that part. They can wear multiple at once and stack the abilities. Once they find all six that they're supposed to find, their mask will turn gold, and they'll be able to access all the powers at once. But I think before that, they have to, like, swap them out in terms of, like, which one you can see on their face before they can use that ability. So, like, if he's wearing the Mask of Vision and the Mask of Speed and he wants to run, he's got to make his face have the Mask of Speed on it before he can run real fast. Okay. I think. That's what I got from reading this and vague memories of 2001. I didn't do any, like, serious deep dive research, aside from a couple, like, numbers and double-checking some of the, uh, because I heard about the Maori lawsuit and wanted to bring that up. But beyond that, I didn't do much more research. So they head on their way to try and find some of these masks. Uh, when... Yeah, okay, so this is Matoro, the Matoran who's with... That's going to get annoying quick. Uh, Matoro, who's with Kopaka, um, gets attacked by a giant robot dragonfly, I would say, probably. Yeah, like there's a lot of like, winged insect robots flying around in these issues. Those are kind of cool. Um, those are called the Nui Rama, and uh, Kupaka saves him by, like, sliding down some ice, because he has ice powers. Um, and there they meet the Turaga, who are, like, the village elders. They lead all the different tribes of Matoran, um, and this Turaga is, uh, which one is this one? Nuju. Um, he's he's the Turaga of Ice. He's a tiny little white and grey dude. And he tells him that the mask is going to be in the place of far seeing. Because Turaga are jerks and don't tell anyone stuff. They just tell you riddles. They keep doing this, by the way. This is a constant thing with them in the franchise. At least this one's kind of easy to solve. Because it ends up just being like the top of a mountain where you can see the island. Like, at least the riddle's not too hard this time. Kopaka woke up 20 minutes ago. <laughs> I feel like that's still mean. Oh no, like, it is still mean. Like, he still should have just said, go up the fucking hill. <laughs> but it could have been worse. While we're on the topic of this old man and his riddles, I want to mention real briefly the little editor's note, where he's in the middle of just explaining some stuff, and... I guess, how would you describe this? He's like, picks up some rocks? Yeah, so he's describing how, um, 
how the coming of Makuta has affected the Matoran, and, like, he demonstrates it by picking up a rock, rolling it around in his weird Lego hands. Um, the, the art, by the way, is very accurate to the toys, so no one has hands. They have the Lego pieces that you could plug things into. Um, and he uses these weird little hands to roll around a rock and then smash it. And then there's the most amazing editor's note, and there's several more of these, but this is, I think, my favorite. Why does Nuju relate his tale in gestures? Learn more about his symbolic language at bionicle.com slash Nuju. So the child is already reading their comic that's an ad for the toys, and the comic that's an ad for the toys has an editor's note that's an ad for the website where they can go to read more about the comic, but then because it's the official website, we'll have more ads for more toys. I don't want to belabor the point too much just yet, but this is the most, I would say, ad-heavy, but that doesn't even describe the degree to which every single facet of this is an ad for itself. There's a lot to say about, like, art as commerce here, and yeah, every single facet of this book is an ad. It's also a pretty good comic. Yeah, like, do we want to go ahead and just talk about how the art is much better than it has any business being? Um, the art is gorgeous, frankly. Um, so, uh, all the pencils done by Carlos Deanda, Deanda, whichever one's right, pretend I said that one first. Um, they are frankly fantastic. It manages to capture, um, we, ha we have, we have the red tower in front of us right now because I actually do own a couple of these things. Um, and the art looks exactly like the toy. It's all the same details. It's incredibly, like, capturing every, like, last detail correctly. Um, and then there's all sorts of weathering details and, like, cracks and, and, and sheen and stuff that you don't get with just a simple plastic but then there's still a sense of motion in all of the action scenes exciting and propulsive i mean the the the, the characters in universe are much more poseable than the lego figures but like this is really good yeah like my immediate thought is to just be like it's surprising that they put this much artistic effort into a tie-in comic but it also makes sense on the level of if this is a toy advertisement we want to make it look like the toy so it's accurate and we want to make the toy look cool so it'll be an effective advertisement and this bitch did the thing like it's ridiculously well detailed like these are not simple robots like the amount of time it would have taken to draw any of these panels. Like, I'm looking at one right now that's just two characters looking at each other, and, like, you see the back of one's head. And the amount of line work, just in the definition of the back of this bitch's head, of just all the little pieces of, like, you know, molded plastic and stuff, and then, like, the back of his gear and everything. This shit's complex, and it manages to convey that without looking busy and over-involved in a bad way. Like, it's all still very clear. The amount of lines doesn't hinder 
the clarity of what's happening, the fluency of the action or anything like that. It's all still very easy to read and flows pretty well. It's just like on a sheer artistic technical level, very impressive. Yeah, big credit to the uh, inkers and the colorists on that as well. Um, I mean, it does help when you have six main characters in the second two issues who all have the exact same body um that they are so distinctly um colored and like their physicality is frequently quite distinct from each other um especially when you're drawing it's essentially the same thing because they're lego figures and they're all the same basic build it's it's just stunning work all around all the way through yeah i guess sorry for the detour uh should we get back to the plot yeah yeah let's go ahead um Basically, Kapaka goes starts to go up the mountain when all of a sudden, uh, Pohatu, the Toa of Stone, he's caused an, well, he's caused like a rock avalanche. He's like riding a wall of rock or running alongside it. Um, he's got stone powers. He's running around with stones. He was practicing his abilities and winds up like covering Kapaka in stone, which like Kapaka is is a dick and refuses help to get out of the situation and turns them all to ice and then like smashes them to get up and then Pahatu uses his big feet because he's got like they all have slight differences uh Pahatu's the most unique because his like build was upside down um and then he had like attachments in his feet to like give him bigger feet I had a Pahatu um the they, they all had these little gear functions and when you swung his butt knob he would kick really fast but also you couldn't stand him up because he would just fall over because of the gear function. The red one that we have in front of us has some very fun looking, just swinging of the arm. Just imagining as a child kids beating the shit out of each other by just twisting the gear and just going thwack of the arm of all of that molded plastic. Just like taking it up against your sibling's arm or face or something and getting grounded from your bionicles. I think the point was you buy two of them and then you're trying to knock the mask off the other one. But I imagine it probably got used more to just hit smaller children. These are very impressive tools of child-child assault. (laughs) Like these things, like they look like they would hurt to get hit with. Um... So, Kopaka and Pahatu team up to go up the mountain, despite the fact that Kopaka is just like, I work alone. Uh, because he is, as I said earlier, the grumpy loner one. Um, and they get up to the top of the mountain without any real incident, and there's another mask there. Um, so, this one is the Mask of Shielding, which they weirdly don't name here, but if I remember correctly, yeah. Uh, it's the Kanohi Howl. Um, all the masks are Kanohi, I and mean, they all have their own unique names. And the mask of shielding is the Howl, um, H-A-U. Kopaka puts it on, and it, like, fades into his existing mask. Um, and he establishes that he can feel the power of this mask working, but he still has the power of his original mask, the Mask of Vision. I suppose that provides, like visual continuity for character differentiation i guess because this was the moment that had me like wait so they wear multiple at once right because his face stays the same but i guess from a character design standpoint that makes sense in terms of ease 
Yeah, also, I feel like because it's literally their face, the mask really characterizes them. Like, Kapaka's got all the eyes and, like, the, the, the... He's a bit weird and off-putting to look at, which makes sense for the standoff fish one. Garly has, like, a scuba mask and she's the water one, so of course she's got, like, a scuba mask mask. It would be weird if the fire guy had a mask that looked like a scuba mask, even though he needs to find a scuba mask. Yeah. Yeah, and like the ice one that we've been following, his mask is kind of giving Darth Vader vibes too, with the way that like the bottom is shaped. Oh yeah, just I hadn't sort even of like noticed that ventilatory and wires and just like the triangle the... thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's giving like white Darth Vader with extra eyes on the side to look extra menacing. Um, I I had a Kopaka and I had a Pohatu. Which makes me wonder if I read this comic as a kid, but I don't remember. But I know I had I had those two from this original line when I was a child. Um, oh, but speaking of which, uh, he sees using his mask, strangers, beings of great power, but are they allies or enemies? And we see a panel at the bottom of the other four Toa, um, all actively not looking at each other or anything in particular, all the other Chutoa who just showed up. They have to all have their faces at a good angle on the panel to just get a good look at those toys. Here's what the different color toys look like up front. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> With this point, these are short comics. These are like 12 or so pages each. With this point between issues, now that we've got the rest of the main characters have arrived... We have a red one, a green one, a blue one, black and white ones, and a brown one. And I mentioned to this this to you off of the podcast, but my question for Lego is, where was the pink one? Where was the pink one for the girls and the little gay boys? Where was our sassy fag robot? Where was it? You know why I didn't play with these? Because there wasn't a fucking pink one. I have no answer for that. Um... So, all of the Toa in every single team in the original line, and also the 2015, like, reboot of it, where they changed the lore and just kept some of the names for things, they're all dudes, except for the blue ones. And all of the blue people are women. They're also, like, the peacemaking ones, who want everyone to get along and stop being such a jackass. Whereas most of the other ones are in some way a jackass. The two genders are woman and jackass. <laughs> uh, it's it's a I'll note it later, but there's some weird characterization stuff with things that I remember from some of the later stuff that I watched with some of the Toa. Um, but yeah, heading into issue two, I guess we should just quickly establish the main Toa team. So there is uh, Lewa or Liwa, the Toa of Air, who's green. Tahu, the Toa of Fire, who's red, Pohatu, stone, brown, Gali, water, blue, Onua is of earth, because earth and stone are very distinct things, and he's black, and then Kopaka is ice, and he's white. And they're sort of all six of them are the main characters of the next two issues, I would say. But um, we actually open this second issue with the Turaga, who are the little old people, and there's all six of them in all the six different colors hanging out, and for some reason they're all telling themselves the mythology that 
they all already know. Like, I don't see a Matoran audience here, so this isn't like a show. They're just sort of doing it. But I'll just I'll just read some of what they say, because this is like this is a fantasy story, but every single character is a robot, and at this point in the franchise that is not explained. And it's really funny to me that it's just like they're robots, and child me was just like, yeah, okay, cool, whatever. This is the tale of Matanui as it has been told for so many years. In the time before time, when the world was new, the great spirit Matanui descended from the skies like a burning star. He walked the world and marveled at its beauty and watched over all living things. But Matanui had been followed by his brother, the dark spirit Makuta. Makuta coveted this world and all that his brother had. Makuta cast a spell that made Matanui sleep, then Makuta claimed the world and darkness and death were everywhere. Yet all was not lost, but great beings sent six mighty Toa heroes to Matanui. Six heroes with one destiny, defeat Makuta and save our world. I assume that's also just like the recap, because then we immediately move on into Liwa and Gali. Gali being rescued from water for some reason in the jungle. Um, so there's been, like, a time skip between these first two issues. Uh, a fun note about these comics is, um, they were, I would say, maybe the secondary media for the franchise already at this point. I double-checked none of the chapter books that they published were out at this point, but the two video games came out the same year that this came out. The first two video games. There are a lot of video games. And I think that the main story for this year was told in the online game on the website. And so this is just, like, side story stuff. That makes sense. Like, reading these issues, there's definitely a feel that these aren't trying to tell, like, a full, complete story. Like, it, it very much reads like something that's to be taken in concert with the rest of the franchise's media, which goes back to the whole just, like, Add an interconnected nature of it, which we've already mentioned, where, like, these make sense on their own, but it doesn't read the same way that, say, like, other comics we discussed do, where those feel like they're made to be a complete story. These feel like legitimately just parts of a multimedia project. Yeah, yeah, these are cogs in, like, the big machine, but they are beautifully drawn cogs. Speaking of beautifully drawn, and issue two opening up with them swinging through the forest. This is a very nice forest. Like, it's not just the robots that look good in these comics. Like, the island looks nice. Like, this forest scene is luscious, and there's all sorts of twisty trees with detail on the bark. And there's vines, and there's ferns, and the colorist has done... A really good job of showing like beams of light radiating through various spots in the canopy of like the sunshine cascading down through select spots. It's very like tropical rainforesty feeling for me, or at least in the way those are like represented and stuff. I don't know. I haven't been to a real one, but it's just luscious vegetation everywhere. There's just again an impressive amount going on here. 
yeah it's it's really stunning it's really detailed but also like it's very clear and distinct like the most of the page is green because it's a green jungle and one of the main characters on the page is also green but it's the 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 vibrancy of the green on Liwa is so much more so than the background and like the way it's inked with the thicker outlines around him to make sure that he stands out from the background and is still like visible as a character it's really skillfully done a lot of effort went into these and i think they they just turned out so well considering what they are yeah like the compositional choices are really effective and like the page layouts and sort of ways that the panels interact with each other really vary to better match what has to be fit in dialogue wise or event wise and it's just like it's basic comic book fundamentals but it's just done well and it's the sort of thing where when it is done really well it's just feels heightened and elevates it and makes it all the more obvious when you look at something that's less polished to go like oh yeah this these are the basics that really carry something in visual storytelling like i'm looking at this series of four side-by-side panels that are like vertical relatively thin strips of panel they also have like lots of word balloons as the bionicle people are talking to each other in the forest and just like the way that the characters move and the way that their positions change within the forest and the way that the dialogue bubbles are incorporated in it's just all very well balanced and it's all just with the exception of one ward balloon that's clearly pointing to the wrong person other than that it's all very clear the unknown letterer did make a mistake there yeah but it's a word balloon that's clearly meant to be one character but it's pointing to the wrong one um other than that i think the lettering is pretty good like it's never unclear who's speaking except for the obvious mistake where the line is just being misattributed 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 oh but basically what happens in this scene is we establish that gali is already down for the toa to all team up and like be nice to each other she's like only way we can stop makuda is by teaming up and liwa who just saved her is a jackass who just wants to do everything by himself this is odd because from i i i remember the movie and in the movie liwa is the annoying little brother of the team who really loves all the other ones and is constantly trying to make lame jokes yeah none of the characters in this comic seem fun loving to me like so like some of them are less douchey but definitely none of them act like that they're all very serious in this i think that the one thing the comic is really missing is a sense of humor oh while we're on the writing though greg farshti who wrote these comics after this heading into the second year basically wrote every single bionicle thing full stop through to the end of 2010 all the books all the comics i'm think he was at the very least involved in writing the movies everything my god i get the impression that the man's full-time job was writing bionicle for nearly a decade um which honestly is really impressive is that or is that not your dream job i wouldn't say no (laughs) 
So we then move on to Gali underwater, trying... Yeah, it says that she's trying to find the, the place where, like, the, all the blue villagers live, which is where she's sort of supposed to live too. Um, when another Rahi shows up, this one is... I don't know what kind of animal it's meant to be. It's a weird one. It's not a fish. You'd expect an evil robot fish, but it's like an evil robot with... It's got, like, a track on the bottom, and I want to say boxing gloves, and a strange mouth made of a claw. Yeah, like, this one, like, I feel more of the machine than in some of the other creatures, like, because it doesn't have an obvious animal, like, analog. Like, it's not a squid, it's not an octopus, like, its long limbs aren't giving tentacle vibes. And like you said, it's not fishy, it's not whale e it's not sharky it's very much just i guess the closest would be those freaky giant crabs maybe but even not really that just underwater death machine yeah and basically she gets away and tricks it into like getting locked into a cave um and swims off uh we can learn more about the deadly rahi at bionicle.com slash rahi I guess we should check that out to figure out what this one is. Maybe what it's meant to be. So many of them look like real animals. I mean, this one just doesn't at all. And I'm just confused because we turn the page and Liwa is fighting a scorpion. It's a big robot scorpion. It looks cool. It's a cool robot scorpion. Um, Liwa's pissed because he's looking for the Mask of Speed and it's underwater and he hates going underwater. Um, and he goes into this, it looks like a cave, and goes into the water, and gets caught in some seaweed. Okay, there is this amazing bit. He nearly drowns. He's, like, surprised by getting caught on the seaweed, and opens his mouth and runs out of air. They have mouths, apparently. And, like, they still need oxygen to breathe, and, like, these comics don't address any of the question of... What's robotic? What's fleshy? Because it all looks the same. And also just how do these bodies work? Because don't worry about it, they're cool action figures. But I guess they need to have oxygen to survive because that's how we add the elements of danger to the underwater battle. If they're just, I suspect, like plot malleable physical needs and anatomy stuff. They are, we've been calling them robot people, they're supposed to be biomechanical. Because that's where Bionicle, like, the name is, it's supposed to be Biological Chronicle, and they portmanteaued it into Bionicle, and we're like, oh, that sounds cool. Like, they're supposed to be biomechanical creatures, but they just look like robot people. They all look like robots. None of them have anything that looks fleshy. They're all brightly colored robots. I just think it's funny that we suddenly have, like, oh no, a bright green robot might drown. Which I suppose on that topic, too, it's like... We have these two going about their quests for their masks. And it's like specifically a plot point of like, oh, you're the Bionicle who's not a water type. You need to go into the water to get your mask because it has to be like a challenge. So they're all sort of like not on their home turf. And we just sort of cut between these characters who just keep being put in different positions based on what would make for... I guess just exciting action of they need to turn the disadvantage to their advantage. But it also kind of makes me wonder, 
why don't they all just go into the environments they're best at and then just get the masks and then swap later if they need to? I guess because that's not drama. And also, I guess they still don't like working together. But it just seems like it would make sense to have the water bionicle go in the water. I think that's the thematic point being made here, because certainly the whole thing is about, like, unity and working together. Uh, Liwa is underwater, and the mask is just sitting out there. Like, if Gali, who can breathe underwater, had gone, it would have taken her five seconds, and she would have just fucking found the thing. Um, meanwhile, Gali has had to climb a mountain, but then starts collapsing underneath her, and she's getting the mask that Liwa wears, which lets you, like, levitate. And she barely makes it to it and manages to use it to save herself. And, like, if that had just been Liwa, it would have been, again, like, really easy once the mountain started collapsing to just levitate and grab the mask. So I think the point is they're idiots for not just doing that. I think that's the idea. Yeah, like, I suppose at this point they're very much still not working together. Like, they're on talking terms. But no one's really fully buddy-buddied up. And, I don't know, I guess they're all just stubborn. It's kind of weird because it's like, one of the cons, I suppose, is just that they could use more differentiated personalities. Because for the most part, they're largely, like we said, just sort of differing degrees of standoffish loners. And, like you mentioned, one one character in other media being more like happy-go-lucky and friendly... And I guess I wish we got more variety like that here. Because within just the context of these free issues, most of them are very similar in the way they behave for the most part. Yeah, I, I know this is a problem that the franchise solves. But in these three issues, it's definitely a problem. Oh yeah, Gali lands after uh, grabbing the Mask of Levitation and is suddenly faced by two giant evil robot scorpions. Uh, meanwhile, Liwa goes back to the jungle and gets attacked by another one of those giant dragonflies. And that is the cliffhanger that we leave off with, with, um, oh, that's more of the things. That's another, that's the thing. Uh, so Liwa is backed up into a corner between two scorpions and then coming out of the water, two of the weird things from earlier that we don't know what they are. And then uh, on the same page, we see Liwa falling to the ground, and there's another weird thing that I don't know what it is. What is that? Is that like a mouth? I think it's a mouth. Maybe, I suppose. Are those teeth, the white pieces? Yeah, I guess so. We can't really see beyond the head, so I'm not sure what it's a mouth on, but yeah, I guess it's like a jaw. It looks threatening. It's definitely not friendly. Uh, I was like, it's well rendered, it's just that. It's a well-rendered version of a Lego build that we can't see all of, and sometimes it can be hard to tell what it is. Like, I still think that's a good drawing, probably, of whatever it is. I think it's just a weird-looking thing that we don't have a reference for. Yeah, and, like, a lot of it's, like, obscured by the trees to give the whole, oh, the beast just came out of the forest to attack sort of thing. And then to end the comic, we have the ad for the Bionicle Quest for the Masks, uh trading card game i never had any of these i love that there's little pictures on cards and a booklet and a map this is more complicated than you would expect why does what does the trading card game come with a map <laughs> to make kid you go wow that's cool mom dad buy me it 
and then... Oh, here we go. The end, also, there's also an ad for the different Rahi. So, I guess that's that's the thing from the water, right? Looks kind of like it, yeah. And then that must be... That's, that's the thing from the end of the comic, because it's got, like, the teeth right there and, like, the yellow. Okay, great. So the, um... The thing from the water that we couldn't tell what it is, it doesn't it doesn't look like anything like a real animal. They're called Tarakava, I wanna say is how you pronounce that. And yeah, they run on little tracks. That's hilarious. And then the thing that we couldn't tell what it is from the end of the comic is either a Muwaka or a Kane Ra. I don't know which it's referring to. One of them has yellow pieces on it, and one of them has red pieces on it, but other than that, they look pretty much the same. They're, they're big. They have heads and claws. Maybe it's an, a cat? Is that Would that be a cat with ears like that? Like, is those cat ears? Maybe, because it, it is giving sort of like walking on hind legs and not bipedal. So like a cat or just some sort of lumbering beast like that. Yeah. The insects are much more distinct. Like, the, the the insects look a lot more just like, oh, that's a scorpion, oh, that's a dragonfly. So it's funny that we have two things where it's, like, very clear what a real-world analog is, and then we have two things that are just so odd. They're not bad designs, I don't think. They're just odd. It's kind of an interesting inconsistency of just, like... Like, some things in this world are made to look clearly like real-world things, and then others are just like, that looks cool, don't worry about it. Oh, and the back of the comic has an ad. The back of it has an ad for buying the uh, different villages that you can get with McDonald's Happy Meals uh, between September 7th and 27th in 2001, and a special buy-in called Comic Book only at McDonald's. How many of these did you have? I know I had at least one. I can't remember which one. We get paid tomorrow. Are you going on eBay? No. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. Probably. Uh, all right, so on to issue three. This one opens with an image of... It's the, the mask of shielding, the howl, the mask that Tahu normally wears. Um, but it's all black and rusty. And it's representing Makuta here. Um, and then a bunch of the different Rahi that have been attacking everyone throughout the books. And it's... Makuta is amazing dramatic dialogue here. I am the shape in the shadows. I am the darkness in the heart of Madanui. I live in the dread stories told by the Taraga around the village fires. The dark creatures, the manners, the Rahi are my servants. I am Makuta. Um... This issue is from his perspective. Real quick clarification question. Is Rahi just a catch-all term for all of these sort of, like, beast-like enemy characters? The, like, inhuman creatures? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just bionicle for animal. Okay. There's, that makes sense. Yeah, there's Rahi later who are just, like, animals. These are just ones that he's infected and corrupted. And, like, I know, like, with the figures, you were supposed to knock the evil masks off of them, and then they would be regular animals and not violent anymore. But in the comic, they mostly just fight them and don't, like, save them. Okay. Yeah, like you said, this issue has the sort of going narrative conceits that it's 
the villain watching on as the Toa just fight his various minions and Rahi. And it's basically just a lot of him being like, they have no idea how badly I am going to beat them. Mwahaha. And then they win. And he's just like, next time I will win. Take this. And then they beat the next thing. It's just like, I will beat you later. It's just a lot of that. There's a very funny bit about halfway through. He's like, they're working together. Impossible. And it's like, I, I mean, no, it, it's not. To be fair, up until this point, they had the water one climbing the mountain and the jungle one going underwater. So to be fair to him, up until this point, they had given him no impression to think that they would be doing things logically and helping each other very well. That's true. I would assume their incompetency at this point. Um, so we open with... it. It's picking up right from the cliffhanger of the last issue. There's no, like, time jump this time. Um, and there's this great panel from inside the jaws of the Rahi that's attacking Liwa as he's, like, swinging up and away from it and just barely avoiding getting, um, sound effect, crunch. He's just avoiding getting crunched by it um, as it sort of leaps up out of the ground. But then um, some, like, big black claws come out from the ground and pull the Rahi down, and it's it's being defeated, but we don't see who the Black Claws belong to, because we cut over to the Gali cliffhanger with the scorpions, when a bunch of flames come out of nowhere and take them out, uh, because Tahu has just randomly shown up, and they're, the Toa work together now. But of course, then they can fall together as well. Um, and one of the weird water wands like hits Scarly in the back and sends her flying into the water and she has it's this magnificent page um so Bionicle's a Lego you buy the the Toa would come in little canisters and you'd open them up and you would build them there's like a bunch of pieces you know there's the arm and leg pieces and the feet and the body and some connector pieces and you build them all together but if you got like three of them you could combine them to make a bigger, even weirder looking dude. And she she's having like a weird vision where the combiner models that you can build from combining the three Toa are like, you need to get the Toa to work together so that you guys can defeat Makuta and also combine into us for a little while to be able to defeat Makuta, essentially. So one thing narratively I think is weird is... Gali is the only Toa who has wanted everyone to team up so far. And she is now the only Toa to get this weird vision about how badly everyone needs to team up. And I feel like narratively it would have been more effective if one of literally any of the other Toa who haven't teamed up yet had this vision. These, like, combined robot spirits are preaching to the choir. They're just like, free of you will become me, free of you will become me. And you need to do this in order to win. And it's just like, you probably should have told the other ones. Like, maybe specifically, like, the white one or the red one, who are especially holdouts. Where if you at least get one of the, like, polar loners, then, like, the middle will be easy enough to acquiesce. And it'll just go farther than telling the one who already feels the same way. Gali already wants to, like 
be pulled apart and reassembled into a giant, even weirder looking robot. That's her life goal at this point. The one thing we know about Garly is she wants everyone to work together, and she's happy in water, normally. But yeah, so um, that's the combiner models are um, Where Uha, who is the Toa combined thing of wisdom, and Akamai, who is a warrior. So there's the wise one and there's the fighty one. I like the dichotomy of smart and fight. It's very like, I, I get like an Athena and an Ares vibe from this. I, I kind of like that. That's fun. And we can see, like, behind them, Batoa. Oh, yeah. When they get all the masks, they get the gold mask. We can see, like, silhouettes of Batoa with their gold masks behind them. And you can see, like, which three you would need to build this big one. So if you're a kid reading this comic and you see this and you're like, Oh, that even weirder looking robot dude is so sick, man. You know which three sets you need your parents to buy. It's perfect. It's great. It is, again, like, this is a toy ad fitted into the narrative in a way that mostly works. Like, we nitpicked, like, which Toa they're talking to, but, like, they managed to fit this in narratively pretty well. They are obvious toy commercials, but they also still function as a narrative. Like, this could have been done a lot more sloppily and more haphazardly, and this just actually works. Yeah, I mean... I'm going to be honest, even if it's not a series of toy commercials, if you're making a story about warrior robots who need to work together, it almost makes sense to have a plot point where they physically have to work together by combining the parts that make them. Like, they're explicitly made of pieces. So, like, narratively and thematically, I think that they've managed to, like, look at what they had and make it work? Yeah. Yeah, that's all. It all works pretty well. Props to the Lego executive who came up with this. Um, so the vision ends, and Gali washes up on shore, and Tyra's like, everything's fine. Uh, the, the, the Rahi ran away. Um, and she starts to try to tell him about the vision, but apparently Onua has called a meeting. So they're back in the jungle, and Onua has come round to Gali's point of view about everyone needing to work together. Um, and Gali's like, hell yeah, that's right, our future depends on it. At which point a vol- oh yeah, Lee was still against teaming up, but uh, luckily a volcano explodes, <laughs> um, and Lila and Onua team up to stop the lava from, like, destroying the villages and stuff. Um, and then a bunch of Rahi show up to attack them, and the Toa start taking them out by, like, doing little team-up combo moves, so, um, Gali like kicks Arahi over her head so that Kopaka can turn it into ice, and then Pohatu will kicks a rock against a wall, and it sends it flying towards Tahu, who cuts cuts it in half with his fire sword, and the two halves hit the two Rahi behind him. Like as it flies by. It's this very cool panel, like it's very clear what's happening, especially since that's like a complicated sequence of events. More props to the art here. Kicking a rock so that it bounces off something to go towards your ally so that he can cut it in half and both halves hit your enemies. And this is in one page, and it's no dialogue, it's just movement and whunt, crack, crack, wham! It's fun. Um, And then 
uh, Tahu turns a bunch of sand that's coming after them into glass, and then through the glass crashes some um, more of the dragonflies who grab him and throw him up in the air. Um, and he shouts about how he doesn't have the mask of levitation yet, but he's gonna try and use the heat from his fire sword to slow his fall. But Anua just catches him and holds him in his big clawed hands. Which, by the way, it was based on this. It's clearly Onua who helped Lewa out earlier in the issue. They don't follow up directly on that cliffhanger, but, like, he's the one with the big black claws. So it was him. There's some more fighting, and then the Toa managed to defeat the Rahi after Onua throws a real big rock at some of them. And all get together and decide they must be prepared to fight them separately and together. Maximum jackasses. <laughs> Kopaka and Lee were both established that they don't like teams, but they'll show up to help people if they're needed. And then they all stand dramatically while Tahu poses, just like the cover of the front of the first issue, and the like big promotional issue from this year, where he holds his fire sword above his head while all the others sort of gather and stand coolly around them. And the comic ends, and that's the end of the third issue, with another ad. Yeah... Overall, these are better than I expected. Like, I don't love them just as someone without the nostalgia factor. You know, it's not something where it's good enough that I'm like, oh, I'm really super invested and I'm going to hunt down the next issues immediately. But it's still surprisingly good in that it is just a toy ad that has an effectively executed narrative and art that has all of the pros like we've talked about already. On the topic of the ads, also want to mention, most comic books have ads, and they'll be varied in what they are, especially depending on the time period, like early 2000s. They were always telling you to get your milk and all that sort of shit. What's notable about these is, not only are they filled with ads, but it's nothing but Bionicle ads. There's not a single other ad for any other franchise. They are not advertising you jack shit except for themselves. And just when you think there might be a break because you see a page of a skateboarder on it, it's a skateboarder telling you how cool Bionicle is. And then you get all the sweepstakes of your chance to win the special golden mask and attend the big Bionicle party, and then just all the other various types of toys of every sort you could imagine, from video games on the website, to the trading card games, to these like remote-controlled Rahi and shit. It is ad after ad after ad, and that's before you even read the story. So yeah, this was the first year of the franchise, and they released 14 sets, counting the McDonald's toys. Which, like, early 2000s, McDonald's Happy Meals, huge deal back in the day. For most of December, every kid who got a McDonald's Happy Meal got a Bionicle. I am not surprised this was a hit. And, like, 14 sets is slightly more than one a month. Like, that is a ridiculous amount of new product constantly being pumped into toy stores. Yeah. Yeah, and, and most of them, like, the six Toa were... You know what? None of these have prices. I, I, want, I want to relate, like, the cost of these things, but I actually can't here. But, um... That way the kid can go, Mommy, get me this. And then they can go to the toy store. And then the mom will go, 
oh, it's this much? I didn't know. But then the child is already looking expectantly and the mom can just go, fine. <laughs> I almost want to, I need to look up how much did a toa cost at release. I'm not going to be able to find this quickly, am I? Okay. Um, so the final ad on the last page of the third book is for not one, not two, not three, but four separate special masks that you can collect separate from the set in various ways. And, like, you can get, there's the Kanohi Vahi, the Great Mask of Time. So, like, I guess if you wear it, you can time travel or slow down time or something. But you can get with the Bionicle PC game that's coming out. Uh, there's the gold masks that are just coming in February. This is distinct from the actual 24 karat gold mask that they had made for the sweepstakes. These are just masks that are, like, gold plastic. The infected masks that you can get in Bionicle mask packs and by buying one of the bigger sets. And then copper masks where it doesn't tell you where you can find them. But but presumably they're in something. Buy some Bionicle stuff. See if you get one. They like took this mask concept and turned it into essentially I guess a collectible trading card game. Except then they also did trading cards. And it's all narratively like relevant and important. And then finally at the very end we have an ominous ad for the next year of Bionicle sets. January 2002. The truth will hatch. And there is a weird ball bursting out of a wall. And that ball is clearly made of Bionicle pieces. Um, this is, this is, I know this nowadays because this is, this is the, the stuff I remember most from when I was a kid with these. This is an ad for the Borok that came out for the next year. Um, they were like weird bug monsters that you could roll up into a ball and roll around. And there was a button that would make their heads like jab forward and attack Toa. They were great. It was a good toy. Yeah. Um, wrapping up. I think we've <laughs> I think we've given enough compliments to spoil our final impression that these are surprisingly good. Yeah, I'm uh, trying to acquire the rest of them just because I think they're a fascinating piece of... Well, they're dead media. They, these aren't getting reprinted anymore. The toy line has been gone for 12 years now in this version. And... Um, six years now in like the the rebooted version that these don't even like they they did a reboot they these didn't count anymore um and if i get the whole of the next arc we'll definitely have to talk about the bow rock that was probably better the bow rock were cool there's it's like a huge swarm of them and they had queens it was like alien well that sounds cool <laughs> and they had these like tiny masks inside them that controlled them and they were made of rubber, and so they were, like, a little bit gross. And you could put them on the Toa, and they would control the Toa. Huh. I definitely read some of those comics, because I remember Lee were getting controlled by one of them. Yeah. With that, I guess, are we good to wrap up and announce our topic for next week? Yeah, let's go for it. So, this week we talked about something near and dear to your heart, which was weird robot people. Next week, we will be doing something dear to my heart, which is gay comics. We are going to be covering our first BL manga, our first romance series period. We will be discussing volume one of Fangs, 
by Billy Bolly Bolly or Bally Bally. I don't know. But yeah, we will be jumping from children's Lego toys to erotic gay paranormal romance. So shifting gears slightly. We're doing a handbrake turn. It's good, by the way. I've, I've barely started it, but like everything I've read so far, I've enjoyed. Yeah, I hope you continue to like it because I like this comic a lot. <laughs> but yeah, that'll be us for next week. We're going to be talking about gay vampires. Thank you for listening to us talk about this dead toy line for a little bit over an hour. And we will see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Oh, oh, oh.